This is Ozarks at Large for Wednesday, September 28th, 2022. I'm Kyle Kellams, and this is 91.3 KUAF, a listener-supported service of the School of Journalism and Strategic Media at the University of Arkansas. Thanks, everyone, who is supporting us during this on-air fundraiser. If it's your turn to do so, you can do so in the amount of your choosing at supportkuaf.com. More details about that ahead on today's show. If you were tuning in to hear the latest hearings into the January 6th violence at the United States Capitol, that hearing has been postponed when and if the hearing is rescheduled. You will hear the live coverage provided by NPR on KUAF. That day at the Capitol is tied to a belief by some that the 2020 election was not properly conducted, a claim that has not been backed up by any proof. Understanding how elections work and why voting matters were two articles at the heart of last night's live taping of the KUAF Ozarks at Large podcast, Natural Election. Ozarks at Large's Matthew Moore moderated the conversation with Jennifer Price, the Washington County Election Commission's executive director, and Dr. Jeanine Perry, a professor of political science at the University of Arkansas and director of the Arkansas Poll. Well, Jeanine, I'll start with you. Let's start out by talking about voter turnout and who votes currently. What can you tell us about state and local turnout and how it compares to the national average? Well, I think... Thank you for asking the question about the difference. That's really, really important, and it gets overlooked. Um, Most of us are aware, particularly if we're listening to this podcast or attending (laughs) uh, its recording, are aware that we've had record turnout in national level elections in 2018 and 2020. And when we say record, I want to just pause and note that um, the records have been so high, they predate women's suffrage. Right, so uh, it's it's a, they're really significant uh, records. So we've hit you know sixty percent or so uh, instead of the usual fifty five percent. Not all states, of course, have have hit that, but uh, the average has been very very high in those um, congressional and then presidential elections. Um, for state and local government, however, the opposite thing is happening at almost every level of government and in both primaries and state elections. Uh, turnout is going down, and it wasn't very good to start with. So right now, just to rattle off a couple of things, um, primary election turnout uh, right now is we're lucky if we hit 30% on average. It's a hard thing to um, average across all the states because it's so many different kinds of elections. If you look at um, city elections, which used to regularly be 60 to 70%, you look at mayoral elections, they regularly now are 25% or lower. Um, and then, of course, you know, just so-called off-year elections, which I call state elections, which is where almost all the relevant public policy is happening. Um, those are typically 40% at best when you get to the general election. And then we could go all the way down where, again, we make a significant public investment to school board elections, and it's not at all atypical here or elsewhere for turnout to be in the single digits. And that might be money on the ballot. It could be you know, millage elections or bond elections is what they call it in many parts of the country, or it could be you know, the zone elections you know, where you might be electing a school board member. But it's, it's really not atypical uh, for those percentages to be less than 10%. Yeah, State Senator Greg Letting was on our podcast during the primary season and talked about there was an election in uh, Green, Greenwood, Greenland, excuse me, in Greenland, Arkansas, where there was an unopposed runoff election and she didn't win. Yeah. Unopposed, you're hearing me, unopposed runoff election and she didn't win because she forgot to vote for herself. Yes. Yes. And I mean, that does happen, and obviously uncontested elections, right, that's another matter, but in many cases these elections are contested. There is a choice to be made, although there's a self-fulfilling prophecy between us not turning out and people not running and whatnot, but half of all of our tax dollars are spent by state and local governments cumulatively. They're making all the land use policy, the housing policy, the transportation policy. That, of course, feeds into climate policy. Almost every, everything you can think of, and then, of course, including K-12 education, is happening in state and local government. But that takes me to the second point to make, which is all the things that we know about how voters and national elections are representative or unrepresentative of the average person experiencing public policies in the United States on the receiving end, all of those get exaggerated when turnout's really low. 
So I just saw an article today that said that um, turnout in city elections, I think these were like in Dallas or somewhere in Texas, the average voter is now 25 years older than the average citizen. So the citizens turning out in these elections are older, um, they're whiter, they're more affluent, they're more likely to be homeowners, they are less and less representative of the people actually on the experiencing end of public policy. I think that's a really significant thing to note. Yeah, Jennifer, when you look at the folks who are volunteering to be poll workers, are you seeing similar, uh, similar sorts of folks? Are you seeing older, whiter, uh, you know, more affluent folks who are volunteering to be poll workers? So we get um, mostly retired individuals. And so, um, you know, and we rely heavily on, you know, a lot of our poll workers are age 70 plus. Um, and so it is more difficult for, for younger uh, voters um, to, you know, take time off from work, to come and apply, to do the training, you know, to be there for election day. Um, one thing we did see, you know, because we were really concerned in 2020 when all the reports about COVID started coming out and we knew our poll workers were in that demographic of they were at the highest risk. So we didn't know how many would be willing to work, how many would, you know, be like, I think I'm going to set this election out. <laughs> and we still had to maintain polling locations. We still had to be open for the election. So we weren't really sure how that was going to work. Um, so during 2020, we actually saw a lot of much younger voters mm. sign up to be poll workers. And I've actually seen that trend carry through this year of the poll workers who are signing up are a lot younger than the typical poll workers that we've had in the past. And so we're very, you know, grateful, fortunate for yeah. that, that we, do, that we do see that. But obviously we rely heavily on retired individuals um, to be poll workers. Um, but we love being able to have the mixed, you, you know, ages at the polling locations. One thing we have done and we've worked really hard with is working with the local high schools mm. because we were able to get a change in a legislative uh, session to allow high school students to actually participate as poll workers rather than just volunteers. So if they sign up to attend a training class, then they can actually work as a poll worker on election day. And so we should have about 150 high school students trained to work uh, for the general election this year in 2022. That's awesome. So wow. we're really happy that we're able to do that. That's yeah. awesome. Wow, that is not the answer I expected in the best <laughs> way possible. That's awesome. Um, Janine, what topics or issues have come out of the primary season that you've been following along with this year and we'll see, we might see in the midterm election, the general election this November? Uh, there are so many. I think that other people in political science and sort of politics wonks might talk about. Um, but for me, what I'm most interested in, and I'll go ahead and be a little bit normative, I'm, I'm, I'm most concerned about is a further decline in the, um, uh, the one-sidedness in parties, uh, in states in general, uh, where we're just seeing a decline in candidates. So primary elections increasingly in states, so blue states, right, have uh, a lot of Democratic candidates in the primary season, and red states, which is most states right now, have a lot of Republican candidates. And so the primary season is interesting, and it actually gives a little uh, boost sometimes to turnout. You know, it might jump to 33 or 35% instead of just 20 or 25% in those years. But then in the general election, of course, there's no contest because either no one runs from the off-brand party uh, or they, they don't stand much of a chance. So this is a decline that political scientists have been observing really now for 20 years, uh, just a, a decline in candidacies. And it coincides with, and you can see how it would, an increase in the average margin of victory uh, and also an increase in the number of seats that just go uncontested, so just one and only one candidate. So just a lack of competition is something that's been happening for decades, and it just seems really magnified right now. And that's not just an Arkansas thing. That's been a nationwide pattern. Well, as someone who can clearly fix this problem, how do you fix it? <laughs> exactly. Um, one of the solutions that I'm most interested in, but again, you could get to but how do you do that, 
it seems to be most closely coinciding with the nationalization of our elections. Some of us mm. might say, would assume that it has to do with polarization. That's actually a, a minor player in our, um, I guess, production compared to the loss of local news and attention to local news. So as newspapers, local newspapers have collapsed, as local television stations have been bought by big monopolies, there's less content, and so there's, you know, just it's this cycle, this vortex of cycling down of people don't know local elections are happening. Um, so fewer voters turn out, and uh, some people are left to just kind of uh, run, run the shop, I guess, as they wish. So yeah. um, subscribing to your local newspaper <laughs> would be a start. Okay. Or giving to your local public radio station. Yes. Uh, <laughs> local public radio stations in so many places are filling. Who am I telling? But they are filling that gap. You're telling the listeners. In rural areas. Um, I know there's a place like, well, there's basically, I guess, one public radio station in Wyoming, for example. But I know Colorado, rural Colorado, those local stations are filling in with local news where the print news, like even the weeklies have collapsed. It's a, it's a major thing. So maybe it's, what do they call that? Um, creative destruction, right? Where somebody else is going to come in and help. Yeah. Um, Jennifer, I want to ask you about, there was an article in the Arkansas Democrat Gazette, speaking of local papers, uh, recently about a FOIA request for ballot manifest reports. It was in Benton County and Washington County, and obviously you'll only be able to answer about Washington County, but what should people know about these requests for these ballot manifest reports? So these report these requests that we've received, um, a lot of it have to deal with the 2020 election, but we foresee that they'll deal, we'll also be getting those requests for the 2022 election. Um, so basically this report is a, instead of a summation of results, it is a line by line um, ballot report. So for every single ballot that's cast, it's also called a cast vote record as well, um, you can see how that ballot was cast. There, there's nothing in these reports that ties anything back to an individual voter. So you, you, we're not you know, breaking the secrecy of a ballot, um, but it is just a line by line, basically, how each individual ballot is cast. Um, and so in 2020, the software that we used did not automatically create this report. So we really don't have the reports that they're looking for in 2020 because it didn't automatically create it. We do have new software now in 2022, which does create that report. And so that's why we anticipate that we'll see FOIA requests for that. Um, and so, but when we look at those reports, there's a lot of things that go into it in regards to what, what can you do with that report and, and what are you looking at in that report. And we look at it because we know it exists, we know how to create it on the front end. So we always do what's called logic and accuracy, which is how we test the election. So before any election, we test to make sure that when a vote is cast for candidate A, then it actually reports a vote for candidate A. So we will go through these cast vote records as well and make sure that what we're seeing on our reporting end is matching up with the results that voters see at the end of the evening. And so we don't see anything that's in these reports that surprise us because we know how our, our voting systems work. Um, we know all the testing we've done. And the state of Arkansas in 2020 actually passed a law where they come in and do an audit of counties across the state. So it's five counties that they choose at random. They go in after the election. Um, each ballot box that you see at the polling location prints a report that's called a results tape that shows the votes that are cast at that particular polling location on that particular machine. And so the state came in did audits of five different counties. We were not one of those counties, but we will be eventually. Um, and did kind of a reverse logic and accuracy, where they actually physically hand counted the ballots to make sure that that hand count matched the results tapes in all five counties, no discrepancies, which is what we knew, which is, you know, when we're testing our election, that's what we're seeing on the front end. And it was just nice to see on the back end that it was true, you know, when you don't know what the results are going to be. 
So, um, but yeah, those reports, we know they exist. We know how to look for them. We know kind of making sure we're testing to make sure everything is counting correctly. An excerpt from last night's taping of an episode of our podcast, Natural Election. It took place at the David and Barbara Pryor Center for Arkansas Oral and Visual History on the Fayetteville Square. Ozarks at Large's Matthew Moore moderated the conversation with Jennifer Price, the Washington County Election Commission's Executive Director, and Dr. Janine Perry, a professor of political science at the University of Arkansas and director of the Arkansas Poll. Our thanks to the Pryor Center for being our partner. There was much more discussed last night, and the full podcast of the evening can be found very soon at KUAF.com or wherever you subscribe to podcasts. Ozarks at Large is underwritten, in part, by the Walton Family Charitable Support Foundation. Restore Humanity's 2022 Winetopia is Friday, October 14th at Stone Chapel at Matt Lane Farm in Fayetteville. This event will include food, entertainment, wines, local craft beers, top-shelf bourbon, silent auction, and more. Proceeds benefit Restore Humanity's work in Kenya. RestoreHumanity.org for tickets. This is a Wednesday edition of Ozarks at Large. I'm Kyle Kellams. Thank you so much for spending time with us. And thank you to everybody who is a financial supporter of Public Radio, KUAF, and Ozarks at Large. If you aren't yet... We're making it pretty easy during these five days of our on-air fundraiser during this fundraising month. Just go to supportkuaf.com, and you can put in the amount and the method that you would like to support KUAF. In the days to come, the journalism of KUAF is what you'll continue to count on as we all work together to revitalize education, rebuild the economy, reimagine workplaces, reform civic institutions— and take on climate change with the urgency it requires. That's all. KUAF exists to be responsive to you, not to the pull of advertisers or shareholders or higher ratings. KUAF reports to and for the public we serve, you and listeners like you. But, but here is the key. Because public service is the bedrock on which all of KUAF rests, public support, your support, is fundamental to keeping KUAF strong. Without you... KUAF is not here, so please be here for KUAF now. You can make a contribution at supportkuaf.com, supporting endeavors like last night's live recording of the Natural Election Podcast. And I'm going to encourage you to listen to the whole thing because there are bits of election information that I don't think anybody maybe in the room except Jennifer Price and Janine Perry knew. It's really an interesting uh public service sort of conversation that was uh, recorded last night. You'll find that podcast soon. It's just one of the things the KUAF does to help you stay better informed. And during this year's fall on-air fundraiser, we are not offering a coffee mug or t-shirt uh, as, as incentives. We're partnering with Canopy NWA and our great friends of the station, Lynn and Joel Carver, to encourage your support to KUAF at the same time, providing gift cards for welcoming kits for refugee families who are relocating in our area. Every afternoon of this fundraiser, we have a challenge pledge from Lynn and Joel putting up their own money. So here's how it works. If we, during the afternoon hours of our on-air fundraiser, have 10 people shift to becoming sustaining members, that is, committing a, a certain amount up to you every month to KUAF, if we get 10 people to move to sustaining membership... Well, then Joel and Lynn will give $100 to our fundraising and provide a $300 gift card to Canopy NWA for those welcoming kits. You can become a sustaining member at supportkuaf.com. And one more encouragement this afternoon. During this hour of Ozarks at Large, John and Kay Duvall have put up another $200 of their own money to be matched. So if we can collectively have $200 raised during this edition of Ozarks at Large, it's worth $400 to us. This can be a renewed membership, brand new membership, gift membership, or if you're becoming a sustaining member. It's all available at supportkuaf.com. All of your contributions help us continue to do all of our work to help you stay better informed. Supportkuaf.com, and thank you.
that is Grammy-nominated baritone Jubilant Sykes from his CD, Jubilant Sykes Sings Copeland and Spirituals, recorded with the London Symphony Orchestra. In the last 30 years or so, Jubilant Sykes has performed in Northwest Arkansas several times, from one of the first years of operation at Walton Arts Center in Fayetteville, to the John Brown campus. He's returning to JBU next month for a concert in the Berry Performing Arts Center. This will take place Sunday, October 9th in Siloam Springs. Yesterday, we reached him in Los Angeles to talk about what we can expect from the performance that night, also discuss a masterclass he'll lead at JBU, and about his previous visits to the region. I asked him if he kept track of all the places he's been. No, I don't. And, um probably because my brain is like a sieve, but uh, since the pandemic, um, I was cleaning out my office and, uh, I moved to this new house some years ago and it was just, I just, the office looked great on the outside, but everything was just stuffed in cupboards. All that to say, I went through files and I saw all of these places and programs and, articles and I went I couldn't believe I had done all this stuff I was just and I went I I kicked myself and my wife walks in the room and she said something to the effect um I I said to her I said I can't believe I did this and I said I don't think I was present when I was doing a lot of this stuff because you're it's happening so fast so intensely you're not enjoying, you're enjoying the performance, but it's different. It's different than looking back and going, I feel like an old man, but it's looking back and going, wow, I did that. Um, so I'm, I'm now that, you know, there's a second part of my life, as they say, after COVID, it's like, I'm really now enjoying the process and not so concerned about, as my agent used to say, you're only as good as your last performance. <laughs> you know, you just enjoy, just enjoy the moment. So to answer your question, I've never looked at the performances. I just didn't. My father always would say as well, keep your head to the grindstone. Just don't look back. Enjoy the moment. Keep moving. But I didn't enjoy the moment as much as I have in the, these last, say, well, be, before COVID, but especially after COVID. I think, I wonder, um, you and I are similar ages, and I wonder if if part of that comes with, you know, getting older and, and, and being a little Absolutely. bit more comfortable with what you're doing. Absolutely. I think it does. I think it comes with um, realizing that most of my life, if I'm being, don't want to sound morose, but most of my life is behind me. Um, and so the joys of the small things, um, are really wonderful. Uh, and so having the opportunity to still perform, having people still wanting me to come out, um, you know, I, I don't take that for granted. It's very humbling. Um, so yes, I think it does come with being older and, and not so panicked. Um, it's not a do or die anymore. I don't have to prove um, anything. At least, at least I don't have to prove it to the public. I may have to prove it to myself, but not maybe to the public. But even then, don't you think you need to be good at giving yourself grace and allowing yourself? I mean, I would think you, you should have proven this to yourself by now. You know, you say that and it <laughs> sounds great. And I wish I could say yes. But it's, I think for me and others like myself, I think it's an, it's an unending battle to show yourself grace. Um, and I don't know if it's because of the business I'm in. And I probably, I, I, I can't blame it on that. I would probably say it's just the way I am internally. And it's something that I don't like about myself, but it's something that, um, and I realize it's not a positive thing. And I also realize I don't have to live that way, but feelings come. Mm -hmm. So I walk through the feelings. So it doesn't matter if I'm feeling, oh my gosh, oh my gosh. I know I am loved where it counts. I know I'm fully known and fully loved by at least my wife and almighty God. So no matter what happens, 
um, or no matter what I feel, um, I can walk in that. But it's it's a battle. It's not it's a not a natural place for me. I have to fight to stay there. certain songs, certain performances, certain compositions that help you on stage feel better or more connected? That's a great question. Um, um, yes and no. When I'm in the tune, I only think about that piece. So... I try, oh gosh, uh, yes and no, but I, it, it, let's put it this way. I don't want it to be, Kyle. I want to be present in that tune, mm. not waiting for the next tune that I know this is a whole lot. Of, this will be a lot easier thing. The next three tunes are really tough, but once I get to the other one, I'll be, I, right. I don't want to live like that. I want to say, hey. This is what I have to give in this moment, this next hour or two, and rejoice and stay here. So it, there could be moments where you go, and I think every, every, every artist has a moment like, well, okay, the next tune, you're programming it in such a way that'll give my voice a rest or my instrument a rest. I don't have to sing those high things or the very low, whatever. But I, I'm trying to be, again, this is all... COVID is trying to say, stay in the moment. And wherever I am, wherever I am is good. It's good. What will we see and hear at, in uh, Silent Springs when you're on the John Brown University campus? Um, it's very eclectic. It's, uh, you'll hear a little bit of jazz. You'll hear, um, of course, some African-American spirituals. You'll hear um, some very old, old Spanish pieces, like from the 14th century. You'll hear some uh, modern crazy stuff like uh, i shouldn't say crazy because he's not anymore but ives mm -hmm. um you'll hear john Lusteau. um yeah so it, it's all over the place it's a very intimate you know i'll probably probably talk a little bit from the stage about the pieces and uh, my relationship to them how i came about them um yeah so it's very intimate i'm looking at it as you know, my friends that I've invited to the house, which I've never done to have you. I've never done that. So I'm going to say, it's like I invite my friends to my house and I sing to them. I've never done that, but it's kind of like that kind of an evening. Like, hey, we're around the piano right. and singing. It's that kind of a feel. Brothers gather round, listen to this story about the promised land and the promised glory. You don't need to fear if you have no money. You don't need none there to buy you milk and honey. You're also going to be leading a master class, aren't you, while on campus? Yeah. Uh, yes, those I really, really, really love. I've done them at a few universities across the country, and I'm, I really, really love doing that. I am. I'm looking forward to doing that. What's, do you see, I mean, because, you know, you're talking to people who are, I don't know, 18 to 22 or 23 years old. Do you right. sometimes see the 18 or 23-year-old jubilant Sykes in them? Or is Always, yeah. 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 I, that's why I, I enjoy it, because there is a naivete, I think, when you're really, really young, say, like middle school, elementary, you're just... 
up singing or playing and you're just there and enjoying it or scared or whatever, but you're just out. You're not judging yourself. But by this time, you get to be this, I call this false sophistication where you think you you know what you want to sound like and you're not sounding like that. So I think to see myself, and as you use the word, and I, I will steal it again, is giving them the grace, letting them know you have your whole life ahead of you to figure this out. Mm-hmm. Enjoy this moment. Enjoy this sound that you're producing. And you'll produce a better sound later on, and you'll have more options later on. But right now, it's not just the technique alone. Um, it is enjoying the art so you are passionate and impassioned by the technique to make yourself stronger and greater. But if you're living only the technique and you're not having a passion about the art, it can be a lonely four or five years in college to get through music. And I have a lot of colleagues that went through that where it was just get the technique so I can do, but they missed the art along the way. So I think I, I'd like to show the mixture of working fiendishly to put that voice in the palm of your hand, but never missing the goal, which is to transform lives with your art of who you are. You explore. You you do get out of a comfort zone, whether it's collaborators, material, or even a discipline. I mean, acting, things like that. You don't stay <laughs> on the same place. Is that important to you? You know what? It never was. It was just, it happened really, Kyle, out of my college years. My buddies that I went to school with, some of them knew they wanted to be at the Met. They knew they wanted to be opera singers. Um, I never knew what I wanted to do. I just wanted to sing, but it was not, I never, I did not have a goal. I just, I just, as my dad would say, I just went (laughs) and I, the job would open up. I got the job or I auditioned or, you know, you do a competition and, and it just, I just, great. Next thing was next, next, next. So I, it left the door open for me to do the jazz, to do Lear. Oh, I'm going to do an opera. You know, it, it just happened that way. Um, I was doing orchestral work really before I did the opera, the opera, I was, you know, I studied in college, but my first opera gig was like, you know, I was still in school. I was actually, I took a leave of absence for a minute. So my point is, it was not planned. It just unfolded. Um, part of that is great because it makes life exciting. The the negative of it, I think, I would say for myself, if someone were to say, oh, I, I want to. And I've had students say, oh, I'd like to have that kind of a career. I think what happened when I was younger, back in the day, it afforded me to work and to work early. I've worked a long time. But now it's different. You really have to hone in on your skill and craft so you can rise above the fray. Jubilant Sykes talked with me yesterday. He'll perform Sunday night. October 9th at 7.30 in the Berry Performing Arts Center. During the conversation, we heard Jubilant performing Mary Did You Know, that from his CD Jubilant, and Aaron Copeland's Chingering Cha with the London Symphony Orchestra. And this is If I Should Fall Behind from his CD Wait For Me. This is Ozarks at Large. Said we'd walk together, baby. Come with me. That come the twilight. Should we lose our way? If as we are walking, our hands should slip free. This is Ozarks at Large. 
we are in the middle of the five days that we devote to on-air fundraising during the month of September. The entire month is a fundraising month, but we really focus on the on-air portion these last five days of September, including right now during Ozarks at Large. First, let me tell you that you can make a contribution online at supportkuaf.com, or if you prefer, you can mail us a contribution, 9 South School in Fayetteville, 72701. We do have a uh, an Ozarks at Large Pacific Challenge again today from our great friends and neighbors, John and Kay Duvall. They have put up $200 of their own money to encourage you to make a commitment during this hour of up to $200. And this can be anyone. If it's time for you to make uh, a renewed uh, financial pledge to KUAF, that would count, or a new contribution, or even a gift contribution. So thank you, John and Kay Duvall, for your contribution to KUAF. And a reminder that if you become a sustaining member, maybe you're not a sustaining member now, and that is taking an amount of $5, 10 or $20 and contributing that every month. If you would like to become a sustaining member now, Throughout every afternoon during this on-air fundraiser, if we have 10 people become sustaining members, Lynn and Joel Carver will give us $100 for our fundraiser and also contribute a $300 gift card to Canopy NWA, a welcoming kit for refugees and refugee families relocating in our listening area. So you can do a lot of good for your community and for your public radio station right now at supportkuaf.com. And right now, we're in a moment when KUAF counts so much on you and your support. From elections, as covered today on Ozarks at Large, to public safety. We've been covering what the commission at the state level is thinking about school safety for the past several months. From the war in Ukraine to our criminal justice system, from inequity to education, from public health to climate change, we are delivering that sort of coverage every day for you. You hear deep and thoughtful coverage on Morning Edition 1A, here and now, right here on Ozarks at Large, all things considered, on the media. KUAF meets each day with promise and possibility for you and people all across our community. In this crucial time of both challenge and promise and possibility for a better tomorrow, KUAF must ensure that all reporting resources are strong. That's why your support is so important to us right now. You can make your contribution at supportkuaf.com. From all of your fellow listeners who are already contributing and all of us who work here, thank you very much. Sona, the Symphony of Northwest Arkansas, presents its biggest season ever, beginning October 29th at Walton Arts Center. The eight-concert season features beloved classics, the annual traditional Christmas show, a hybrid orchestra jazz concert, groundbreaking contemporary voices, and a special concert for families, representing a wide vision of what orchestral music can be. Tickets and subscriptions at 443-5600 or sonamusic.org. Little Wing Productions presents Asleep at the Wheel, Merry Texas Christmas, Y'all, at the Auditorium in Eureka Springs, Friday, December 16th, with special guests, the Cape Brothers. Tickets go on sale this Friday at tickets.thundertix.com. This is Ozarks at Large. Votes on Issue 4, the recreational marijuana ballot issue facing voters on this year's Arkansas ballot, will be counted after a recent opinion handed down by the Arkansas State Supreme Court cleared the way for voters to weigh in on the issue. That decision was one of the topics of conversation this week between political columnist John Brummett from the Arkansas Democrat Gazette and Roby Brock with our content partner, Talk Business and Politics. Roby asked John his takeaway from the Arkansas Supreme Court's opinion and whether justices got that opinion right. I think so. I think that... Uh We've thrown a lot of things off the ballot over time, and usually I agreed with it because uh, usually because the ballot title wasn't sufficient and and or misled. In this case, this new body inserted to try to uh, to, to pass on the sufficiency. The Board of Election Commissioners they they went too far in saying uh, this this detail, which is important but it's not essential to put that detail in the ballot title in order to have a sufficient presentation of the amendment. Nothing misleads. Uh, and, and they said, we, let the voters decide. Uh, the motto of the state is the people rule. You've got to let the people rule. So I thought they got it right. Uh, somewhat interesting to me is that the petition said, uh, please restore this to the ballot. Uh, 
because the Board of Election Commissioners does not have a constitutional right, in part because the Board of Election Commissioners uh, doesn't have this right to pass on sufficiency of the uh, ballot title. And the Supreme Court said, and we grant that petition. Did they just declare the Board of Election Commission law unconstitutional? Did they put them out of business? Lawyers are telling me maybe, probably, but they didn't say it. So I don't know if they're leaving themselves some wiggle room or if the Board of Election Commission should, uh, under this current law, convene next time and presume to pass on uh, ballot titles. But, you know, it was an interesting thing to leave uh, unattended. And it was a well, it, it's a well-presented uh, uh, amendment. Uh, lawyer did, lawyers did a good job uh, anticipating uh, what the Supreme Court would be looking for. And we're going to get to vote on it. And your poll, your poll, Roby, always fight in your polls. 58.5%, am I remembering correctly? That is correct, uh, yeah. And this was a week or two ago, uh, said they uh, favored it. You want to ask me if I think that's going to change? I think it's going to change. I think it's going to tighten up. I think that we're going to hear, we're going to hear a lot about whether this thing is too open-ended that... Uh, the we're relying on regulation that we can't be confident of. We're going to hear from the family council about the opportunity for, for drug cartels to get involved. And we're going to hear all kinds of things. And I think people are going to give it a, a more serious consideration now. And I think, in fact, and I say in tomorrow's column, uh, Sarah Sanders and Chris Jones is not the big thing on the ballot right now. Uh, I think I think we're going to have a lot of money spent between now and then on this issue, and it's going to occupy a lot of voter attention. Back to uh, a point that you made earlier in that Supreme Court decision there, I, I have been hearing from several legislators that think that the whole process needs to once again be visited, that we need to be challenging these ballot titles before these signatures are collected because of the expense of collecting all of that, that uh, we may see some sort of revision, particularly now that the State Board of Election Commissioners has been called into question as to whether or not they're the definitive body for this. I don't know what the answer is, but I feel like there's going to be a lot of uh, ideas floated out there to change this whole petition process once again. <laughs> well, it's, uh, yeah, yeah, for two reasons. One is uh, our legislators, our political establishment has, uh, has been uh, horrified by some of the things that people have voted for and they've wanted to make this more they got another amendment they've referred themselves to it'll take 60 it would take 60 percent for the voter approval uh, uh, to enact one uh, but but yeah the process beyond that it's just a mess and there seems to be a way there ought to be a way taking Taking away the issue of, of whether of whether you, you want to make it hard to pass these things, there ought to be a way for the process to be clearer and fairer and more efficient. And what you just said, yeah, uh, uh, approve ballot titles for submission and court review. I don't know. Could the Supreme Court review something just tentatively, give an advisory opinion? That's done in some states. But yeah, yeah, this 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 throws that all. Uh, uh, up for grabs again in the next session. That is political columnist John Brummett speaking with Roby Brock. Roby is with our content partner, Talk Business and Politics. You can hear their entire conversation and find more news from around the state at talkbusiness.net. You can read John Brummett and his columns at arkansasonline.com. I'm Joy McGowan. I'm Denisha Simpson. And, and we, we are Resilient, Resilient Black, Black Women. Women. On the next Resilient Black Women, Joy and Denisha answer questions about therapy, how to start, how to deal with health insurance, how to change therapists, and how do you know when you're done? Okay, guys, so we always want to give our listeners what they would like to hear. And so I heard from a few people that they wanted to hear us talk about how do we even get started with therapy? What's that process? It's kind of like the home buying process. Um, yeah. They said, like, where do I even go? Where do I start? Answers to questions you may have about starting therapy on the next Resilient Black Women, available now at KUAF.com and anywhere you get your podcasts.
And that's just one of the podcasts that's produced at KUAF, along with Natural Election and so many others. You can find them wherever you find your podcasts. This is an on-air fundraising week at 91.3 KUAF, when we remind you of all the services we provide, from Morning Edition and All Things Considered, to podcasts like Resilient Black Women, to a show like Ozarks at Large, music like The Pick and Post with Mike Shirky and Robert Ginsburg, Shades of Jazz, to the other stations that are available to you for free, like KUAF2, which is around-the-clock classical music, and KUAF3, which provides encore broadcasts of our locally produced music shows, as well as jazz throughout the day. And you can find us so many different ways at KUAF.com through the free KUAF app or by asking your smart speaker for free to please play KUAF. All of this made available to you because of you and support from listeners like you. And you know, our days are filled with information, social media, TV, radio, uh, websites galore, but you need more than just information. You need facts. You need relevance. You need understanding. That comes from the kind of journalism you find every time you listen to NPR and KUAF and Ozarks at Large. We check facts. We find knowledgeable sources. We bring you reporting thorough and thoughtful. And that's a pretty good reason to start making small monthly contributions today, become a sustaining member of KUAF. KUAF, Public Radio NPR, need your help every month to bring you the level of journalism you depend on. You can go to supportkuaf.com, and here to explain one more reason it's great to be a sustaining member of KUAF is my colleague at KUAF, producer of the Community Spotlight, Pete Hartman. During this year's fall on-air fundraiser, KUAF is partnering with great friends of the station, Lynn and Joel Carver, and Canopy NWA for a special challenge each afternoon to encourage you to support your public radio station and to provide gift cards to Canopy NWA for welcoming kits for refugee families relocating in our area. Starting at noon today, we challenge you to become a new sustainer to KUAF. If you've never given a gift before or if you've only given one-time gifts, this is the perfect time to become a monthly donor to your public radio station. It takes just a few minutes to set up your ongoing donation right now at supportkuaf.com. When we welcome 10 new sustaining members, we'll meet the Carver's Challenge, getting $100 toward our goal and sending a $300 gift card to Canopy NWA. Hannah Lee with Canopy NWA describes these kits. When a family comes to Northwest Arkansas, when a family is resettled in the United States, they tend to come with very little. And so when they move into a new house, we want to make sure that the house feels like a home. And it has all of those necessary items to really be able to start over and build a new life. And so a welcome kit is what helps us provide those items. So we have a lot of different types of welcome kits, our kitchen kits, bathroom kits, personal care kits. And all of these kits contain different items um, that we use to then furnish a home. Join with this generous community to support KUAF's public service, available to all, even those who can't afford to pay to support it. And join with this welcoming community to show the refugees Canopy NWA works with what kind of neighbors we are. Simply make that ongoing, sustaining membership to KUAF right now. Go to supportkuaf.com. Thank you. And thank you, Pete Hartman. And don't forget, you can hear Pete Hartman's Community Spotlight. You don't hear it this week because it is the fundraising week, but it will return Monday mornings at 6.30 and 8.30. And you can find out more about Community Spotlight and the people that Pete talks to on it every morning by going to KUAF.com. Thanks again to everyone who is supporting KUAF through supportkuaf.com. Thanks also to John and Kay Duvall, great friends, great neighbors, who are putting up $200 of their own money today during this Ozarks at Large, if we match that through new memberships, sustaining memberships, GEF memberships, well, then it's worth $400 to us. We met the pledge uh, from the Duvalls on Monday and Tuesday. like to do so again today, up to $200. If that fits your budget, you can make a contribution right now at supportkuaf.com. We often talk about on this program the rough statistic that 30 or 31 people on average are coming into this listening area every day, one of the fastest growing parts of the nation. Well, probably if you're one of those newcomers, just like it was before, public radio is a part of your life here as well. 
Of course, you get the reliable news and information you've come to expect from NPR. But we're helping you learn about the ins and outs of this region from the music that we have, you know, pick and post on Saturday night to this program, Ozarks at Large, to the Community Spotlight, hosted by Pete Hartman every Monday through Friday morning at 630 and 830. Before you know it, KUAF has become that trusted friend that you rely on as you navigate your way through your new home. Celebrate that new friendship by making perhaps a brand new membership or becoming a sustaining member to KUAF, your public radio station here where you live now. You can make that contribution in the amount of your choice at supportkuaf.com. If it's up to $200, it helps us meet the John and Kay Duvall challenge. Supportkuaf.com, and thank you. In the background is pianist and composer Amina Figueroa doing the title track from her CD, Joy. And I'm Robert Ginsberg, your host for Shades of Jazz. On this edition of the show, we will hear more music from Amina Figueroa, as well as from guitarists Wolfgang Muthspiel and Peter Leach, saxophonist Charlie Porter and bassist David Friesen, and much more. Tune in to Shades of Jazz right here on KUAF. Shades of Jazz can be heard for the first time Friday night from 10 to midnight right here on 91.3 KUAF. Then you can hear it again Saturdays from 11 a.m. until 1 p.m. on KUAF 3. And you can listen to KUAF 2, our all-classical station, and KUAF 3, which is mostly jazz, but also on the weekend has encores of our locally produced music programs. You can hear either one of those stations for free on your HD radio that can be at home or in your car by asking your smart speaker to please play KUAF2 or KUAF3, by going through the free KUAF app for iPhone and iPad, or let's see, you can also use the stream at KUAF.com. This is 91.3 KUAF. Fayetteville, Fort Smith, Bentonville, and Clarksville. Ozarks at Large is a production of KUAF. Contributors today included Matthew Moore, and Roby Brock. Timothy Dennis produced the program from inside the Herald and Blanchcock News Studio. So many different ways, by the way, to also listen to Ozarks at Large. We do have a podcast that's available for free wherever you get podcasts. Or, again, that smart speaker, you can ask it to please play Ozarks at Large and hear the most recent edition of our show. Big thanks to Daniel Carruth for his help with last night's live recording of the Natural Election Podcast. And big thanks to Randy Dixon and everybody that was working at the Prior Center to be our partners for that event. You can hear the entire podcast very soon by going to your favorite podcast distributor. Our theme on Ozarks at Large, written and performed by Daryl Sean. Our community engagement at KUAF, directed by Jasper Logan. And we thank you for being with us and for supporting your public radio station at supportkuaf.com. Also, big thank you to John and Kay Duvall, longtime friends and listeners of KUAF, who again today made a challenge of their own money to encourage you to contribute to KUAF. If we can raise $200 during this one hour of Ozarks at Large, it's worth $400 because John and Kay have contributed that. We met those goals the first couple of days of this week. Let's do it again today. And also thanks to Lynn and Joel Carver for their help in our fundraising efforts this week at Ozarks at Large. Again, if you become a sustaining member of KUAF, that's what the Kellams household does. If you do that during the afternoon hours of uh, our on-air fundraiser these five days, if we get 10 new sustaining members, maybe brand new memberships or converting to sustaining members, then every day that we do that during the afternoon hours, Lynn and Joel Carver will give us $100 as well as provide a $300 gift card for welcoming kits to Canopy NWA for people, refugees, and refugee families relocating in our region. So many people working together to make this a successful on-air fundraiser. Thank you for your help. I'm Kyle Kellams. Back with you tomorrow. Have a good rest of your Wednesday.